This is Hank for the Wildflower Bee Farm. This was originally recorded on August 4th, a day after the threats from the local weed police dude. Here's my 17-minute description in its entirety. Talk soon. So this is Hank from the Wildflower Bee Farm. It is August 5th, 2023 today. In the incidents that happened, I'm going to explain that happened yesterday on August 4th, 2023. This podcast isn't released, being released until the final report of the provincial weed inspector comes out or until we have a decision that our attorneys have agreed upon that um, stopped the process. So we're not going to, I didn't want to release this and it was great advice from Mary until, until the um, report was finished and we're in court or we've um, actually have a conclusion to the, uh, to the issue that's a negotiated settlement. So yesterday was the day that the uh, provincial weed inspector was to come to the farm to walk around the farm and to um, get more information for him to do his appeal report. So just to backtrack for a second, the in case you're not sure, last year um, we had a significant amount of Canadian thistle. Um, a neighbor complained. Uh, the weed police wrote up a ticket, um, eventually came to the farm through my urgency, walked the farm, gave me uh, some ideas, said, as long as you're trying, you're okay. Uh, fast forward to this year, our Canadian thistle is probably down 90% because of all the mitigation we did. And we want some Canadian thistle, but we want the other wildflowers and tall grass prairie to survive. Uh, nevertheless, a, another ticket was written and when I called the weed police, the local weed police dude, he said that we had to cut every Canada thistle that was on our property, which of course is not possible. Um, even though it's um, you know down 90% from last year, you're going to see the odd you know Canadian thistle throughout the property. So we hired a great legal team. Um, we started the process of appeal, and part of that process is to have the uh, if he wants the provincial weed inspector to come to our property and check it out and make his own decision. Now, the weed inspector for the province can either agree with the local inspector, can disagree, or can write an amended type of uh, mediation plan or direction that we can or can't follow. And if we choose not to, we then go to divisional court. We have 30 days to review the report and then go to divisional court. So you're listening to this today because we're either going to divisional court or we have an accepted plan. So this is about the events of yesterday, which are quite disturbing. And I, I'm, I waited 24 hours to do this because, you know, it, there's a lot that happened. So before yesterday, we had agreed that the ticket writing local weed police person would not be on our farm um, for the inspection by the provincial guy. Um, they agreed and they said that two um, city employees would come in, in instead and they they gave us the name of two employees that would come one is Orion Brown who's a public works um, administrator makes $155,000 a year 14% pay increase last year by the way um, have no idea why uh, and the second person was a Jordan Gray who's a drainage superintendent and both of these folks were supposed to come in place of the uh, local weed policeman, uh, Jim Glassford. So at nine o'clock, the uh, provincial 
weed police person arrived, very cordial. We talked for a moment. Then the a car drove in with apparently was going to have the local um, town representatives, and three people get out of the car. I pull out my business cards and I ask for identification, and none of them have any. Ryan Brown shakes my hand and tells me his name, but I don't know if truly that was him because he didn't have any idea or business cards. None of them would provide any business cards or identifying information. And there was a third person. And I said, who would you be? And he said, I'm Jim Glassford. I'm the um, guy who wrote the order. And I said, well, you're not supposed to be here. You're not allowed on the property. And he started to raise his voice and I said, to be on this property and to walk the property, you need a warrant from a justice of the peace. That's what the law says. And, he, and do you have a warrant? And he kind of looked puzzled as if he didn't know. Looked at the provincial inspector who said, yes, if they're not allowing you on the property, you need to go to the justice of the peace. The, the act says you need a justice of the peace to um, swear to warrant and then you can come and walk the property. So this Jim Gloucester gets very aggressive starts yelling, starts pointing, and starts walking toward me. And 24 hours later, I have to tell you, at the time, I think I was just kind of in disbelief. He continued to raise his voice. He was out of control, said something about, I spoke to him in a bad way on the telephone, and no one speaks to him that way. And if I was anywhere else, I'd say, I think the guy's walking up to me because he wants to hit me. Well, it got so intense that the, and I just stood there because I, frankly, I was with Mary, so I was ahead of her, but I was kind of, I wasn't worried. I was more surprised, I think, until the, the two people who said they were from the municipality had to restrain this guy. And they ushered him into the vehicle. They all arrived in this vehicle together. And I'm going to talk about that in a minute. Why the next day that seems to be more significant to me than the actual threats from this uh, weed police dude. So they, they, they usher him into a car. I tell them they can stand by the road if they'd like. or And I told the weed policeman he could stand by the road, which is how we assessed our farm last time. And that would be as far as he'd get unless he had a warrant. Of course, he got more aggressive and angry. And they said something like, we have to go. And they all got in the car and just left. Didn't say anything else. So before I get to the inspection, which was, was, was totally at the other direction, which was very positive, let me just say what I think a day after. So first of all, you have a lawyer for the town who agrees that the local weed dude's not coming um, yesterday for the um, inspection. And instead, they're sending two people. And that's what the email said. Two people will be representing the town, and they give these two people the name of these two people who didn't want to share any identification when they arrived. They drive up and bring the weed dude with them. So obviously there was collusion, there was acceptance of some sort that they were going to go around the legal representation of the town who told us what would be happening. And... I will let you decide why, what would be the purpose of that, other than, I guess, an attempt to intimidate. Uh, it was like a little local gang of employees coming to visit, I guess. Um, I think that the part that is confusing today, and this is 24 hours later, 
is the response to physical threat. So that hasn't happened to me since my college days playing sports. Like I, you know, playing football, you you know, you get in a game and or even in practice, and you get scrapping for whatever reason. But since then, it's been you know, when you want to fight, you get a great lawyer, or you write, or you advocate, but you don't physically threaten to hurt people. It's just not. Well, it's not part of my portfolio, and I've never experienced it, frankly, um, until yesterday. And that's why it was kind of confusing to me, I think. I was also embarrassed and shocked, and this happens a lot when you see behavior that's so unprofessional and so scary. And all I kept thinking about is, I'm fine, I, I, I'm going to deal with this, but what about someone who couldn't, who didn't have the resources, or who didn't have the training or background or strength or you know, great lawyer to call up afterwards and say, hey, this is what happened and so on. And I wonder the the, the collusion between the supposed $155,000 a year dude and this weed police uh, person to collude to come even though the legal representation for the town said that the other two would come, but they would respect our wish that the other person would not. So, there's systematic issues here beyond the threats and the, you know, and, and it is, I guess is, I guess it's open to interpretation. If someone's pointing at you and yelling at you and moving toward you in a menacing manner, is that a threat? I don't know. Felt, felt that way at the time, I'll tell you, and really feels that way today. But then I started looking at it from the perspective of not myself as a person and being with Mary, but also as a former clinician. And I thought, <clears throat> excuse me, for someone to engage in that kind of behavior out of context and with that many witnesses and, and that out of control is very concerning. Um, and in a position of power and authority, often alone when he visits with people or when he attends properties or when he tries to uh, exude his power. So there's an incredible concern, and I, all I did was send a quick email to a few people in the, in the town indicating my concerns, and I did have a conversation with my lawyer. Because there's a real concern about not just this person, but the collusion with the administration. This wasn't just an out-of-control weed dude. This was a purposeful attempt to intimidate. And I, and I guess the, the response, other than the police and possible litigation, is... You know, these people are supposed to work for taxpayers. And it's pathetic and it's sad that someone who makes $1,000 a day was coming to the farm knowing nothing about what we do to I don't know what the purpose was. I guess we're going to find out. And, and hopefully at the end of this, because time will have passed, you won't listen to this till probably months until the report's released, that I'll have a solution to some of these questions I'm, I'm bringing up. So... They drive off yesterday, and we start the walk with the um, the uh, provincial expert uh, from Guelph, Ontario. And I have to tell you, it was an hour and a half, which was full of a lot of education, uh, very professional, very helpful, very much understanding our purpose on the farm, very much wanting to... Um, respect the honeybees and the monarchs in fact one point he said you know whether it's soybeans or wildflowers for bees i'm not going to tell you to cut things that will hurt that crop 
So he put the wildflowers and the other growing plants that were around a lot of the a lot of the um, Canada thistle as being just like a soybean field, which I thought was quite good. He also did an excellent job of explaining how we can try to work with the um, the regulations, but by doing his main concern that frankly was that we have a buffer. A buffer is about ten yards or ten meters or a bit more or less, where between the agricultural land beside us and our property, we have as best we can a section of growth that does not have a lot of or any thistle in it, which is difficult, as he said, but at least you're trying to mitigate it. He doesn't really, didn't really care about what else was on the property, which I thought was quite important. So he provided us with a number of strategies. He was also, I think, for the first time became aware of all the attempts we'd made to to make the farm more balanced with regard to Canada thistle, that we had um, planted the clover and how we had cut the um, the thistle in June and taking those precautions to do so, so that it would be uh, less of an issue. And that to me was pretty important. So I, I think when you, when you look at that entire day yesterday, that hour and a half, and Mary did an exceptional job as we started to work. By the end of it, we we're sort of talking about what a mitigation plan could look like that he would be okay with, that we may or may Now, we still could end up in divisional court. I don't know. Um, he still could write something that we're not willing to do, and we're going to have to go to court over it. But at this point in time, on August 5th, 2023, I was extremely encouraged by the professionalism and the knowledge and the ability of the person to come out and really work with us. Because I said to him, you know, this isn't just about us. This would be about finding a solution where other people who may want to convert land back to nature also can learn what steps they can take to not harm wildflowers or the monarchs or the bees, but still be in compliance to take on people who think they're going to complain or weaponize the Noxious Weed Act. So in summary today, as I sit here with regard to that part of yesterday, it was extremely positive regardless of what happens, whether we go to court or not. And uh, again, the second part of this podcast, I'm going to be talking about the solution or lack of that was uh, a result of the appeal that we did. So to tell you the process, the he I think he said in a month or so, we should get his report and his decision. And that gives us 30 days to decide if we're going to go to divisional court and challenge it. He told us that under no circumstance does it make any sense to cut anything this time of the year, nor is spraying the property an option, which made us feel quite quite good about the protection of our wildlife. Um, one thing he did discuss was a first frost cutting. So if there's any places where we want to uh, reduce the amount of um, Canada thistle, it's after the first frost to do a bush hog cut, which we would do in those areas because he said that that has a significant impact on those plants and what i like about it is the bees are in cluster so they're not flying the monarchs have flown away and so we have uh, no damage to wildlife we would only do spot cutting for our own purposes to plan what we're doing and so that would fit with what we're doing he also said that the windrows the time to to really um try to take on the windrows with would be at a time when they're finished blooming 
So the the honeybees and the monarchs have gotten the nectar that they can, and the, they're just starting to go into seed. Um, and during in these windrows to take a weed eater or something and just cut a few. And there, frankly, there were just a few in the area he described, which would solve the problem of making sure there's enough of a buffer between any of those plants and the local farmland. Another important thing I'll leave with, he, he made a great distinction with the current state where he said, yes, there's no, there's no can of thistle threatening any farm around here other than the adjoining farmer who neglected a parcel which according to this expert should be ticketed, which I don't know what that means, but we'll see how that works out. But he said, you don't know if someday someone's going to organically farm beside you where they're not going to use Roundup, which would be nice, but they also need some protection from all these other weeds. And I think, or plants that are on the noxious weed list. So I think that made a lot of sense to both of us and all of us. And I'm hoping that the second part of this podcast is a good one and we're not in court, but who knows? So we ended on a positive note. Um, it was unfortunate that we had that experience at the beginning, but, you know, we pushed back and forth throughout our walk for an hour and a half, and I think we both, um, through that process, at least I did, I'm not sure how he felt, but I certainly understand his position, and I understand um, um, his job and what he's really uh, designed to do. So this is Hank for the Wildflower Bee Farm. Now what will happen is I will uh, put the second part of this in, not sure when, and you'll be able to listen to the conclusion of our Weed Police story. Have an amazing day.